She's an adjunct professor for a number of colleges around Alberta. She teaches on the topics of spiritual formation, leadership, and sexuality. She's the author of two books, as well as a contributor in a compilation uh, of other types of books. She's been married to Norley for 32 years, three adult children, and we are very pleased to have her come. Rosemary, would you come? And as she comes, let's pray for her as she brings God's word to us today. Father, we thank you for Rosemary and for the fact that she is with us this day. Would you open our ears to hear your word to us today and that we would be quick to obey, quick to hear, that we would be good listeners of your voice to us. Bless her, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I've anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his household, his wives. I gave you the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you so much, much more. Why then? Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? Well, that was the indictment pronounced to King David by God through the, king, the prophet Nathan. It was the climax of the story from 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, a story that we're probably all familiar with where King David falls to lust and adultery murder, and cover-up. He thinks everything's okay. He's got it figured out. He's taking care of it. Everything's just fine. But I think about the words of Jeremiah that says, my dear people, oh, my dear people are broken and shattered. And yet they put on band-aids, saying, it's not so bad. You'll be just fine. But things are not just and that's the situation where the prophet Nathan makes a visit to King David and tells him the story of a rich man who steals the lone little lamb of a poor man. David is outraged. I mean, who wouldn't amongst us? It was a story of greed and murder and selfishness. And King David proclaims that such a thing will not go unpunished in his kingdom. And that's when Nathan says, you're the man. I have, God says, I have given you everything. And if that wasn't enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why did you despise my word and sin against me? You know, it was at this point of confrontation that David admits his sin to the Lord. And I can imagine King David leaving that meeting with David, going to his private chamber, and alone before the God of Israel, he penned the words that are now Psalm 51. I'd like you to actually stand. We're going to read this psalm. And if you're comfortable, I would encourage you just to extend your hands just as a way of symbolizing an openness of heart to receive these words from the Lord. 
Allow them to flow over you, wash over you, as well as sink into your spirit. Have mercy on me, O oh God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a holy spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that, I may, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that you brought, bring to us through the, the brokenness of David. May these words sink deep into our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I remember the first time this psalm intersected my life. I was the age of probably some of you, about 18 or 19. I was deeply in love with the young guy that was, would become my husband a few years later. Uh, we knew we had a few more years before we could get married, and, and so we put some pretty tight boundaries on our physical relationship, because we both had really wanted a desire to be virgins at our wedding. He was in the University of Saskatchewan studying, and I was at the University of Calgary, and we would meet back in our hometown Saskatchewan every long weekend, every chance we had. And we stayed up as many hours as was physically possible because sleeping just seemed to be a waste of time together. Well, one particular night when we should have been sleeping, we stayed up late to talk and we ended up going past the boundaries that we had set. Yeah, we were still virgins, but we knew that we had sinned. The purity that we sought and had tried to, be, to maintain had been breached. I remember waking up the next morning I was convicted. The weight of my sin was heavy upon me. I felt fear rising up with me. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my boyfriend. Well, I shared it with him, and he was feeling the same way. And then he said, let's read Psalm 51. And I remember being amazed at just how accurate those words described how I was feeling. Listen to them. 
for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, and you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You know, I'd grown up in the church. I'm sure I'd heard sermons on it. I'm sure I'd read that. But that was the first time that David's words from Psalm 51 intersected my sinful reality. And I realized that this psalm, Psalm 51, was for me. Now, there have been many, many, many times that I have come back to this psalm since then. Psalm, times when I have felt the weight of my guilt, when I realized that the choices that I've made have gone against God, I've hurt others, they've ripped at the soul of my being. But you see, God, in all of his love and goodness, does not let sin go unnoticed in our life. We've all tried to cover up sin, right? Pretend like nothing is wrong, put on the Band-Aid. But God is too good, too good to let us harbor and protect our sin. We often think that our sin causes God to turn away from us. What it actually does is it causes him to pursue us. C.S. Lewis described God as the hound of heaven. And Jesus used the, the story of a good shepherd going after the one lost sheep to bring him back to safety. You see, that's the kind of goodness that God has. He goes after us. He pursues us. He seeks us out to reveal our sin. The atonement of his sacrifice is played out every day of my life, not just at my point of conversion as an eight-year-old. Every day since then, I have needed his cleansing. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of the Almighty God. And his only response is, I am doomed. I am undone. I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people of filthy lips. I know I often actually think of myself as pretty squeaky clean. I've actually found myself some mornings as I sit with my Bible open on my lap. Oh, now what do I have to confess today? Oh. You know, maybe if we compare ourselves to our roommate or our best friend, maybe we do look pretty good. Maybe even compared to some of our family, we're doing pretty good. But that's not the standard, is it? The only person to compare ourselves to is the holy God of the universe. And as David's words say, against you and only you have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. But the good news is that God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. And as we acknowledge our guilt, we begin the process of confession, that specific admission of what we've not done. A specific admission of what we have done. Not just, forgive me for my sins, but the specific admission. And that leads to repentance where we ask for forgiveness, which leads God to not only forgiving us, but he draws us back from the shadows where we've been hiding into his light and into intimacy with him and renewed relationship. 
Now, this is in contrast to the cycle where we protect our sins and our brokenness, and we refuse to admit it. We stay in the darkness of our sin, and this darkness causes shame that convinces us that there's something wrong with me. And from here, we descend into a cycle of condemnation and isolation and despair and hopelessness that forces us downward and deeper into darkness and further sin and isolation. And shame strikes at the core of who we are. It strikes at our identity, saying, I'm a terrible person. And so we pull away from God and we pull away from others. But God. My story is a story of but God. Isn't that an amazing two words? But God. Out of his deep love for us. He points the finger not at our identity, but at our behavior. And it draws us into confession and repentance and back into relationship. Because God is so good, he doesn't want our lives just to look good and nice and clean. He wants a pure heart. That morning as an 18-year-old, everything looked good. But my heart needed purifying. I love the imagery that David repeatedly uses in phrases like, wash me clean, purify me, blot out my sins, remove the stain. Well, in my 32 years as a wife and three kids later, I've done a lot of laundry. And you know what it's like? You get a stain on your favorite shirt and you take and you spray it with a stain remover. You, you know, scrub it vigorously. You put it in the strongest cycle hoping that when you take it out of the washing machine, there's no evidence. Oh, how disheartened we are when the stain is still there. Right? Anybody experience that? Then you have to throw it out or you just wear a sweater over it. <laughs> I am so thankful that this is not what happens when God deals with our sin. My long list of sins. We can declare along with David that God creates in us a clean heart. Our purity is restored. Now I want to stop for a minute because we often equate the need for the, of this psalm for, you know, those big, the big obvious sins like sexual sin or murder or cheating on exam or lying. But, and after all, that is the context in which this is written, right? It was written as David had done many of those things. But it's like when we see ourselves with a prodigal son and then we open our Bible to Psalm 51. Now, by no means am I innocent of some of the sins of the heart, of lust and of murdering somebody with my thoughts or gossip or envy, you know, the big obvious ones. But God has been showing me lately my need for confession and repentance of some much more subtle and yet equally destructive sins in my life. Last week, I was teaching up at the Canadian Lutheran Bible Institute at Camrose. It was a new curriculum that I had developed, and, and I had spent many hours studying and putting together the course. First day went pretty well, and then I woke up on Tuesday morning just gripped with fear and angst. I feared that I hadn't studied enough, that it wasn't coming together well. And the long list of should'ves and could'ves, oh, just gripped my soul. This litany of accusations was bombarding my mind and my heart. I sat there that morning with my Bible open on my lap, 
just crying out to God, wallowing in my self-pity and self, kind of that self-perception. And the Lord took me to a passage I was actually going to be teaching on later that day from Mark 9. The, but Jesus and his disciples have gotten into the boat, and they're crossing the lake, and all of a sudden they realize they don't have any bread. And there's an arguing match that goes on between the disciples. Who forgot the bread? Jesus stops them. He says, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Did I not just feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes? And, and, and how many baskets were left over? You kind of see the disciples go, uh, 12. And then I fed 4,000, and there was lots left over then too. Do you not get it how I will provide for you? Do you not understand who I am? And at that moment, I realized my need to confess the sin of fear and the sin of forgetfulness about all that God has done for me. Time after time after time, he has proven himself faithful. I just choose to not remember. And so my sin of doubt and fear and pride in my own accomplishments was much as much a slap in the face of God that day as David's sin. You know, I was taken back to Psalm 51 last week to a place of admission and brokenness and asking for God's forgiveness. Now, certainly there's times I find myself more like the prodigal son, those obvious big sins, but actually, all too often, I'm actually the older brother, full of pride of all the things I haven't done or the things that I have done. I am so, so thankful that God is not content with us looking like everything is okay. He is ruthless to eradicate sin from our lives. Let me say that again. He is ruthless in his pursuit to eradicate sin from our lives. And when we go through this cycle of confession and repentance and asking for forgiveness, the psalm assures us that God will never, I love the, the word, the definitive words in Scripture, not just sometimes or maybe, he will never, never reject a broken and contrite heart. And then he cleanses us and he restores us. And when we experience that restoration, instead of there being this hole in our soul where our joy and fulfillment leak out, it's repaired, it's restored through forgiveness, and we will joyfully sing of God's forgiveness. David puts it this way, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. May the joy of my salvation and a loyal spirit be, renew be renewed. My rebellious heart will be replaced with a willing spirit to obey him. Boy, do I ever need one of those. A willing spirit to obey. See, all too often I'm stubborn and prideful. But this psalm beseeches me to turn to God and to allow him to give me a new heart, a new mind a new way of living, living each 
and every day. As Ezekiel promises, our hearts of stone will be replaced with hearts of flesh that are willing to obey whatever God calls us to. You know, David ends this psalm with a glimpse of what a willing spirit looks like. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you, and then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You see, when we experience God's forgiveness and restoration, the last stage of being free from those confines of our sins is that we are going to be willing to talk about it, willing to praise God for what he has done. I have a young woman in my life that I mentor. And a few years ago, her and I were talking about ministry opportunities. And I sensed the Lord speaking to me, saying, ask her if she's ever had an abortion. I went, no, no. <laughs> you don't ask women those kind of questions. Uh-uh. And it was just, my heart was pounding. And I knew if I was going to have a willing spirit, I needed to do what he was asking me to do. So with great fear and trepidation, I turned to her and I said, Lauren, have you ever had an abortion? Now let me tell you what was happening in her heart up to that moment. She was 22 at that point. When she was 17, she'd had an abortion. And she'd only ever told two people in her life. But God had been stirring in her heart a need to break free from the confines of that. And for about a month, she had been praying and asking God to bring somebody into her life that she could tell. At that point of intersection, when I asked, have you ever had an abortion? She turned to me and she said, I can't believe you asked me that. Well, she went on to go into a, a program at the Pregnancy Care Center called Living in Color. And she sought forgiveness and restoration. And she's living a life with renewed joy. She went from having told two people to allowing God to redeem and restore that. Two years later, here she is. Later this month, she's going to be the guest speaker at the Pregnancy Care Center's fundraising dinner. Now, you might be sitting there going, well, that would be a really good reason to never tell anybody my sin. <laughs> you don't know what God's going to do with it. But Lauren is a beautiful example of somebody who has experienced freedom through confession and repentance and restoration. I've seen the joy of her salvation return, and she's living a life of vibrancy and passion. The shame she felt has been eradicated, and instead she gives glory to her Lord for all he has done in her life. Imagine if the writers of Scripture had chosen to exclude the stories like David's sin. You know, we don't tell our stories to, of redemption to glorify our waywardness. Or somehow to show how holy we are that we turned from them. Psalm 79 tells us, God forgives us so that we feel better. No, it actually doesn't say that. That does happen. <laughs> it's kind of a secondary thing. What it actually says is, God forgives us for the glory of his name. That's why God forgives us, so that his name will be glorified. And when we refuse to tell what God has done for us, we rob glory 
God of the glory that he rightfully deserves. When I feel prompted to share my failures, but then instead decide to hide behind the facade, all is well. I'll be just fine. I try to remember, you know what, it's the least I can do. When God has forgiven me of so much, the least I can do is give that glory back to him. And so in closing today, I want to challenge you. We're going to enter into a time of confession and repentance as offered in Psalm 51. This isn't just a psalm for those big ones. It's a psalm for every day. May our Bible be so used to turning to Psalm 51 that it opens up on its own. It's a psalm for an everyday psalm. And so I'm just going to read six short phrases that encapsulate the process, this process of confession and repentance and restoration. And after each one, I'm going to wait for just a minute to allow each of us in the quietness of our own heart to come honestly before God. If you find yourself thinking, I don't think I have anything to confess this morning. I got a hint for you. Pride. I'll just leave it at that. And that I'm speaking from experience. So let's honestly come before God and to put into practice what the psalmist David has put before us today. Let's pray. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy because of your unfailing love and compassion. You desire honesty, and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me that I may be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O oh Lord. You have broken me. Restore my joy and let me rejoice. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Grant me a willing spirit. Lord, we thank you so from the depths of our heart that that day as David hid in his sin, confident that he had covered everything up, 
but you pursued him. Through the prophet Nathan, you pointed your finger at his actions because you loved him and you knew that he could be so much more if that sin would be dealt with. Thank you for including this story, this psalm in Scripture, Lord. Thank you for how it has time and again brought me to my knees and then your spirit has lifted me up. You've allowed me, you've empowered me to stand tall in front of you again, pure and holy and righteous in your sight. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your pursuit of me. Thank you for always being good and faithful. Lord, my prayer is today that these words from your word would sink deep into our hearts. That there would have been a shift this morning somehow. That we would even see guilt and shame. We are no longer slaves to fear, Lord. We are your child and you ask us to come into your presence in confession and repentance, knowing that you are a good father who restores, who brings us back into intimate relationships. Lord, may we go forth from here with a joyness, a lightness. Our sins have been taken away from us. You said there's far from the east is from the west. That's how far. I can't remember them, you say to us. Thank you. Help us to walk in freedom. Help us to walk in joy. Help us to be willing to do what you've asked us to do. At this moment, in the days and the hours to come. So I say thank you, Father. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you, and I bless each student and faculty that's here with just a new and a keen sense of your presence and love today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go and be blessed. Go and live in the joy of a renewed spirit. Amen.